This is episode 76 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode, we're talking with Charlotte Gibb, and you know what I love about the podcast is, yeah, we talk about photography, and we have this common interest that brings myself, the guests, the listeners all together with this one shared interest, but we get to learn so much about the people who get to come on the show, who who are invited, who asked to come on. And it's so fun to hear about their experiences, their upbringing, and how they got into photography. And today is no different with Charlotte Gibb. I mean, I didn't know half the stuff that she talks about. And we cover a wide range of topics from her upbringing as one of nine children, how that's impacted her parenting, how, you know, She's seen effects of climate change, revisiting locations over and over, and so many more. The emotional connection to an image and what it means to her to be respected by her peers. I don't want to give too much away, so let's just jump right into the episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Charlotte Gibb. And and Charlotte, I've wanted to get you on the podcast for quite some time. I don't know what my problem was not reaching out to you and emailing you, but I finally uh, got around to it on my to-do list and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome in. Well, thank you, David. I'm really glad to be here. Why don't we just start off, if anybody is unfamiliar with you, I know you've shared your story countless times, but how did you get started in photography and, and what led you kind of to where you are right now? It was a long, circuitous path, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I don't remember a time when I didn't have a camera in my hands. I had been, ever, ever since I was a kid, I usually was walking around with a camera. Um, got my first DSLR, not DSLR, SLR. I was a little Pentax ME Super back um, when I was a teenager. And... Um, Back then, I was studying journalism. I wanted to—I thought I wanted to be a journalist, and and I thought I wanted to be a photojournalist. So I was, <clears throat> you know, I was doing a lot of photos of people and events and things like that. Um, but things kind of changed for me, and I switched gears in college and uh, decided to go into graphic design. And so I went to art school, and uh, photography was part of my design education there as well. And I started doing kind of more artistic work with my camera and um, artistic things in the darkroom. And then I had my design firm for many, many years, and I used my camera to, um, you know, help me develop design projects for clients and whatnot. I would take a lot of my own pictures, and sometimes I would hire professional photographers for stuff that I couldn't handle. But, um, you know, it wasn't really until recent, I would say the last decade, that I turned my attention and my focus towards uh, nature and landscape. And that's really where my heart is. And I think the reason that I chose to do that is because, you know, my, my design work, you know, where I spent, you know, several decades working um, as a graphic artist, I had my own firm and um, lived and breathed graphic design. And, and my art was developed for other people and for other purposes. It wasn't really, 
for myself, you know, so if someone was paying me and they said, make that, you know, that logo pink, I'd make it pink. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, really do it for any other reason than I was um, paid to do it. So when I, in earnest, decided to dive into photography in a more meaningful way, it was also in a more personal way. I wanted to do it for me. And I only wanted to spend time photographing things that made me happy. And being out in nature and landscape made me happy. So this was a really wonderful, natural thing to happen. Um, I didn't ever dream that it would be to the place where it is now, uh, in terms of how much I do it and how much I enjoy doing it. And, and even teaching, which I am totally surprised that um, I like to teach because I've never taught anything in my life. And, you know, now I'm helping other people find their vision with their photography. So anyway, that's, that's the long, the long story of it. What did you love about film? You mentioned your SLR and, and the dark room. What did you learn? What did you love about that process of shooting with film and then also processing your own images with, you know, uh, chemicals. And I, I did the same thing in high school. So I'm interested to hear. You know, I, I, I think that what we've lost within the digital age is that sense of anticipation. Um, because you, you know, you have to work very slowly in, in film and you have to be pretty sure about your exposures and what you're doing because you don't get that instant feedback. So if you make a mistake in the field, you're not going to know about it until you get into the darkroom, develop that film and make a print, and then you learn from it. So the learning curve is pretty slow in terms of um, what we're dealing with today with digital cameras. So um, I guess I kind of miss that, that slowing down of the process of really taking your time and then that that little bit of anticipation when you get the slides back you know <laughs> or or you develop the film you know you don't know what you're going to get do you still mentally go there when you are out in the field with all of your digital equipment uh, not not much um sometimes i bring my film camera out just for kicks you know and i'll i'll shoot a roll of film um just for fun and when I do that, it, it kind of jolts me back into that world again. And I remember what I liked about it because uh, I still have my little Pentax, <laughs> believe it. <laughs> I've had it since I was a teenager and it works fine. You know, what the heck? So my son borrowed it from me for a while and I thought he was going to maybe get into photography. But alas, no, he's uh, into other stuff, but not not photography. Would you want him to, though? You know, I, I think that as a parent, if, to be able to share a passion for something would be wonderful. But, you know, he, he has a passion for music, and that's also one of my other passions. And so we, we have that in common. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, how, how would, um, do you have kids, David? I don't, actually don't know. I have, my daughter is seven months old, so she's oh. not really... I mean, she likes music, but I can't see her, you know, picking up a guitar or anything anytime soon. Not anytime soon, no. But uh, I was just going to ask you about that. Sh you know, having, you know, sharing an interest with your kid is a very rewarding thing for sure. You ask yeah. really interesting questions, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, when when you have 
uh, a kid and and whether it is a, a son or a daughter and they do show interest how do you like put aside your own interests and and foster what they want to do i think that being a parent that's what you hopefully are already doing is trying not to um impart too much of yourself on your kids you know or you know you want them to develop a healthy strong sense of individualism um in their own right so i think if, if it were if they were interested in photography i would just really turn them loose and you know wait for them to ask questions you know instead of imposing you know my philosophy um but that's that, that's all you know you know, I'm not, it's funny because that neither one of them really are into photography. So I haven't had to really go there. But when, when Cody borrowed my camera, I was so happy. It's like, here you go, you know? And the, the, the funny thing is, the reason he, he, he calls me up, he says, do you have, do you still have a film camera? And I said, yeah, yeah, I still have my old Pentax, you know, why? He says, well, I, I went, meant to buy some instant um, cameras, you know, the cameras that you, you know, have film in them and then you send them in and they develop it for you. He goes, but I, I bought film by mistake. So I have like 10 rolls of of film and no way to use it. So I said, yeah, of course, you know, so he came over to get the camera and I just basically showed him the exposure triangle, you know, how ASA works and how to adjust that and aperture and shutter speed. And I said, that's what, these are the things you need to know to control the exposure. And off he went you know, and he burned those 10 rolls of film and then that was it. (laughs) (laughs) How old do you have more than one Cody and then. And, and Troy. Yeah. They're, um, they're 27 and 29 now. Okay. Is Troy, does he picked up photography at all? Not, not at all. No, they, they both turned into, uh, they're programmers like their old man. Um, (laughs) however, they, they both picked up my love of music and, um, so they are both musicians um, in addition to being software engineers. So I'm super, super proud of them. So you can't tell. When did you discover the, the genre of landscape photography? Um, I think I owe it to Yosemite. Uh, I, I've been going to Yosemite, you know, for many, many years, you know, I'm a native of, of California and, um, grew up, you know, going there. And, um, as an adult, I would, I would go there every time I could. Um, my photographs of Yosemite were usually just snapshots. And, um, you know, you hear people say, well, you can't take a bad photo in Yosemite. And in a way that's kind of true. Like if you put a wide enough angle lens on your camera, you're going to get, you're going to capture that vast expanse and beauty of the place. But my, my photographs weren't, um, I don't know. Um, they weren't exquisite. They didn't, they didn't capture the essence. And I felt like I loved this place so much that I wanted to spend my life trying to capture its essence and show what it looks like to me. So, you know, Yosemite is really responsible for me working at this craft so hard because I love it so much. I love being there so much. But I still feel like I'm, you know, still trying to 
to do it. I still go up there and still trying to communicate that. And sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. Being in the outdoors though, did you have an upbringing in that? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the youngest of nine kids and our father. Did you say nine? Yeah. Yeah. There's nine of us. And, um, actually there's eight of us now because my sister passed away, um, a year and a half ago, sadly. But, um, our dad was a doctor in, uh, Redding, California, which is a small town in Northern California, which is this beautiful place surrounded by mountains. And my dad was an avid mountain climber and outdoors person and, and hunter. And so we spent all of our vacations were spent camping and being outside. That's how we spent our time. Um, there were so many kids that we were booted out of the house, you know, as soon as the sun came up, you know, (laughs) and um, we had a vast Oak forest behind our house. And so I would go out and explore in this forest, you know, all the time. Um, so yeah, my, um, my upbringing was very much rooted in nature. My, my father died in a mountain climbing accident when I was four years old. And when that happened, um, you know, it was obviously a big shock and a lot of, a lot of change, you know, in our family, but our mom, I think she really wanted to have some continuity and in the lives of her kids. And so she continued that tradition and we kept going on camping trips, you know, all of us and continued those kinds of traditions. And, you know, we've instilled that in our kids. Our, our sons are now rock climbers as well. And, um, you know, nature is a big part of our, our family life. When you are out photographing, do you like feel your dad in those scenes that you're photographing? I think, I think that, um, initially, you know, when I first started climbing and mountaineering, I, I did those things because they reminded me of my dad, like my dad loved these things and it made me feel perhaps a little closer to him. Um, photography, not so much. My dad, my dad used to carry around one of those eight millimeter film cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used to take, you know, these little beautiful, um, small films of, of his trips. And those are such a treasure now. They're all, you know, without sound, but, um, you know, in fact, you know, he, he actually died climbing Mount Whitney. Um, and it was a winter ascent on the Mountaineers route. It was a really just a practice climb for, um, a climb that they were going to do on, um, Denali, which was back then was called McKinley. And, um, you know, it was just a, a freak accident, but the, when they found him, the, the eight millimeter camera was next to him. So the, the theory is, is that he was, he might've been filming, when he fell, we don't, we don't know. No one saw him actually fall. So you mentioned your, your sons are now climbing too. Was that difficult for you to, I don't want to say allow them to do that. Um, but see them do that. Well, remember I was mentioning that, you know, if you're doing your job as a parent, you're not imposing your own, you know, fears or whatever, you know, onto your Mm -hmm. kids. So, yeah, it completely freaked me out. When when my husband 
I was already mountaineering and, and, and I had done some rock climbing and I, I did those things because I loved them. And, you know, it's one thing to, to do it yourself, you know, right. You know, but as soon as I had kids, I stopped doing that sort of thing. And cause I didn't feel it was responsible because I saw what happened as a consequence in our, you know, to my family. So when my, when my husband, um, decided to take up rock climbing, I said, you have got to be kidding me. Really? Can't you pick <laughs> something else like more safe, like racing motorcycles or something, you know, but, uh, but no, no, it was rock climbing. He loved it. He wanted to keep doing it. And, um, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do it too then because, you know, it just felt like it took away some of the anxiety for me of having, him do it. Well, then he started getting Troy and Cody involved and they were just little guys, you know, like Cody, I think was maybe four when, or five, when we first put a harness on him and pulled him up the rock. Um, Troy and Cody are excellent climbers now. Um, they fortunately are not into the big wall climbing, which makes their mother happy. Mm-hmm. They, um, they're into bouldering, which is um, still presents some danger of course but um they're not into the the big wall stuff in your experience the the past work experience that you explained versus kind of what you do now with a camera and landscape photography you know i know you hang your hat on the intimate landscape compare and contrast for me your lifestyle then working in the design firm versus what you're doing now? Well, um, the, the common thread through all of this, you know, is, is art and, you know, making art is something I've always done, uh, both for, as a living and, and for my own personal pleasure. Um, you know, I, I make photographs because it pleases me to do so. That's, that's the only reason I do it. Um, you know, if I had, I was thinking, I I wrote an article recently and I had to really think through this, um, for that article. And, you know, when I play music, I don't give a rip if anybody's listening to me or not. I, I do it for the pleasure of the activity. I enjoy it. And with photography, landscape photography, it's the same way. I, do it for the process and the pleasure of the activity of doing it. Um, and, and even the post-processing. So the common thread is the art. It's also the common thread is composition. And, um, composition is just so darn important in any kind of art that you're making, um, be it music or painting or flower arranging, (laughs) any, anything, just understanding how, um, the elements of design are, work and and work together to make art is super important. And that's something I've spent, you know, my, most of my life doing. So in a way, you know, whether I was photographing people at a protest or photographing trees in a forest, the, the, the difference is one is, um, first of all, one's way more relaxing than the other. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other is, is that, um, you know, the, the, the composition is still the name of the game, right? You're, you're still trying to make something that works within four edges of a frame. Mm -hmm. 
I think the easiest segue here would be to jump to your presentation coming up and out of Chicago, um, where you referred to composition eats subject for breakfast. What do you mean by that? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is a good segue. Um, I think that in, in, at least in the landscape, in this genre, it's, it's especially important that compositions be sound. And t- teaching composition, I, I think, is difficult um, because you can, you can explain to somebody, okay, these are the elements of design. You have, you know, lines and shapes and colors and tones and textures and all these things that are the elements of design. But then when you, what I'm going to talk about it out of Chicago live is how do you take all of these elements of design and put them together in a way that's balanced, that has flow, that makes a pleasing composition. It's not just a matter of understanding what those elements are. One needs to understand how to put them together to make a photograph that's that's beautiful to look at. Or maybe it's not beautiful to look at, but it makes you think or makes you appreciate it or whatever, you know, it, it, it engages the viewer. So, um, that's what I'm going to attempt to, uh, teach it out of Chicago live. It's a difficult topic to, to really, um, get into. So we'll see how it goes. Can some types of people, personalities, the way they see the world impact the way they see composition and flow differently or make them see it more easily than other types of personalities? Oh, personality. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> God, David, you ask really tough questions. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if what per, what personality comes into it. I think there's an aesthetic, and is aesthetic driven by personality? It could be. I mean, I think that we bring to our compositions everything. Everything that is is who we are. Our life experiences. Our um our influences, the things that simply please us, what we like to look at, our likes and dislikes, all those things come into play when we make art. And that's why, you know, photographs and art is so wonderfully unique by the person who's seeing it. I mean, you can take, I was just up at Tunnel View and, you know, there was like, as usual in Yosemite, like, you know, dozens of people up there. It was a beautiful morning. And, you know, you could be standing next to someone and getting a completely different exposure or different kind of experience with that scene. And I think that's wonderful that, that we all see things a little bit differently. I was thinking the same thing and it goes into play too. What, what I I wasn't going to talk about this, but, but now I've changed my mind and I am, (laughs) but what we were talking about before we, we started recording about, the differences in shooting in Yosemite or in, in the Sierras or something like that versus shooting in the older mountains like Great Smoky Mountains that are much more smooth. But looking at, at your photographs of the same areas that I've been to countless times, it's completely different. And it made me have to ask, you know, where were you? Oh, interesting. So you didn't recognize those those pictures um, from, from the areas that you were very familiar with? 
I knew I knew you had been in Cade's Cove because I knew the horses um, in the field, but the other like streams and and trees and and things like that, I was um, unfamiliar with. I had a good idea because I thought I recognized one of the dogwoods that I've photographed before, <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, I wasn't quite sure. You know, it, it, I had never been to the Smoky Mountains before, and when I approach a place I've never been before, there's a sense of discovery, and you know, I mean that area around Townsend, Tennessee had been in Cades Cove and Tremont and all that, you know, it's been photographed a gazillion times by photographers who are better than me. And, you know, and I, you know, but I didn't really care about that. I, I went into it with, with fresh eyes and um, just had a wonderful sense of um, discovery. And I remember I, I found this one, I saw this rock down at this big, beautiful boulder down in the Creek with a, a dogwood by it. And, I crawled down the the bank of the river and, you know, it was kind of the steep place. And I had this sense of like, I'm the first person who spotted this. Like no one's ever seen this before. It was like this, you know, and I took this picture. I did made this composition and this photographer from that area, he says, Oh yeah, I know that rock. I know that tree. <laughs> and it's like, really? No, I, I found it. You know, I discovered that, but you know, of course, um, you know, that's ridiculous to think that because this area is just so, so popular. But yeah, um, I think that having a fresh eye is probably what makes my stuff look maybe different from how you saw it because I, I didn't have anybody to show me these things. I just went by myself and just, you know, someone said, oh yeah, you should go up to Tremont. Okay. You know, so I just went there. I, I didn't know where to go. I just kind of drove up there and started seeing what captured my uh, attention. Is that typically your pro- your approach when you do go to a new location? Yeah, pretty typically. Um, I tend to, I try to talk to locals if I can to steer me in the right direction so I don't waste too much time spinning my wheels, especially if I have limited amount of time in an area. Um, but I try not to look at guidebooks or things like that too much. I don't want to I don't want to, I don't know, what's, what's the word? I don't want to prejudice my eye too much. I want to, I want a sense of discovery for myself. So I'd rather just somebody tell me where to go and then let me figure it out, you know, once I get there of what I want to do. If you're asking locals in Tremont, I I love the people there, but you probably experienced some pretty thick accents. Oh, (laughs) I love the Southern accent. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the, the people were super nice too, like just incredibly generous with, with their time and um, you know, with information. And I, w- I was just had a wonderful time. I'd love to go back um, and explore some more areas of the park besides the area around Townsend. Hey guys, I just want to take a real quick break to talk about Out of Chicago Live coming up April 9th through 11th in 2021. Myself and Charlotte are both going to be presenting in Out of Chicago this year. And what I think is interesting is we're actually both going to be on the exact same panel as well, talking with TJ Thorne and another photographer about 
why do we take the photographs we do? I'm really excited about that. You can catch Charlotte's presentation on why composition eats subject for breakfast. You can catch my presentation on the creative flow and a journey through photographic style. Both of those are gonna be on there. What's great about this is that if you sign up and you can't get to the presentation that you want to because of a scheduling conflict, or maybe you're watching a different presentation at the same time, you actually have access to all of these for an entire year. So you can go back and watch those. Remember, outofchicago.com is where you can find all of this information to sign up and join Charlotte and I and some of the best photographers around the world who have also come on this show too. So be sure and go to outofchicago.com and sign up for Out of Chicago Live April 9th through 11th, 2021. In your About Me page, um, you describe your approach going back to Yosemite, you know, returning to familiar and secret places to observe changes. In terms of, of something like climate change, how have you seen changes just from the short time that you've been seriously photographing that area? Well, the, the, the sad but obvious answer is, is fire, wildfire. Um, you know, we California is no stranger to wildfire. I, you know, I remember it in Reading as a kid, you know, we'd have at least one good wildfire every summer. But that would be it, you know. But now the the fires are much more severe. They're bigger, and they're they're just. I mean, we drove by, you know, out Highway 120 a little bit, which is on the west gate or north gate of uh, Yosemite, and there's an area around Foresta that is burned multiple times. And I was telling my husband, I said, I remember, you know, coming here and all of this was beautiful, green, lush forest. And now look at it, you know, it's just barren and it just breaks my heart, you know, just breaks my heart, you know, that forest fire is a natural thing, but the, the fires we're getting now are just so much more devastating. It's so, so sad. And, you know, in my lifetime, I'm not going to see those forests recover. So my kids might see some of them recover, but there's areas that, you know, th that still haven't recovered from fires 20 years ago that aren't showing any sign of recovering. So anyway, yeah, that's, um, that's the most obvious sign of climate change that I've, you know, that I've noticed in the years I've been here. What emotions, like when you see that, um, some of the forests that you've been to places that you've gone what spectrums of emotions do you feel when, when you first see that going back to that place? Well, it's, it's hard not to sometimes feel pretty devastated. Um, you know, the, just, just very sad, um, very sad. And, and, a, and a little bit afraid, I think, because, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to stop anytime soon. Um, my husband and I are, are um, planning to build a home in Wawona, which is in the um, southern part of the of the park, south yeah, southern southeastern part of the park. And um, 
you know, I, the, a part of me is thinking this is crazy to be doing this when wildfire is such a threat up there and continues to be a threat. Even though the park service manages fires really well inside the park, they do a lot of control burns and, and they're on it when there's a fire in the park. They're really, you know, they're really on it. They let some of them burn the slow burns because fire to a certain degree is healthy. Um, so, you know, in some sense, I'm trying not to worry about that, but it's definitely a real, a real concern. And it's very, you know, it feels very personal. Like this is, you know, this is the place that I love and it's really hard to see, see it being damaged. In terms of that fear, what area of the park do you fear losing the most? Hmm. Well, the, the granite's not going anywhere. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so that's the, that's the good news. But the forests and um, in particular, the really old, beautiful um, black oaks that are in the valley and up in Wawona. And then, of course, the sequoia, the giant sequoia. There's only so many of those groves you know, left in California. And um, we had that mono wind event in uh, about a month ago. I don't know if you heard about it, but it it was like hurricane strength winds ripped through Yosemite and it took out, oh my gosh, like a dozen or so, I think 15 large sequoia out of Mariposa Grove. These are giant trees that are thousands of years old and one wind event toppled them. That's that's climate change, you know, that, that kind of wind event is, is more, so we're seeing more severe, um, weather events. So that's a direct result of, of climate change. So, you know, the trees I think are what I would miss the most because that's to me is a huge part of the essence of Yosemite. Into, well, you know, I, we've talked about Yosemite versus Smokies and, and it just reminds me of, uh, a wind event and a burn that happened in uh, the, one of the most popular parts of the park a few years ago where it was just, you know, uh, an accidental fire that was started and it was the perfect storm. There was a big uh, wind event, straight line winds came through and blew embers all over the park and there was a massive wildfire. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense to me. And I remember, driving through that part of the park when I went back and seeing the stark difference between spring vibrant neon greens and charred black. Mm. Mm. Ouch. You know, I, I was up in um, Yellowstone for the very first time this last fall. And um, I don't know if you remember that there had been that giant wildfire up there. I think it was in 1989 or so. Is that right? I think that's right. Well, I was born in 1987. Okay. So you wouldn't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, there was this giant um, forest fire that just burned like a good percentage of the park. And I had never been to Yellowstone before, but you know, we had, gone through the part of the park where the forest didn't burn and there was all this beautiful old growth and then you go to the part that did burn and these trees are still you know fairly young and it's been a long time and you know these these forests do recover but it takes a long 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 time for them to recover 
at least in human years, I guess. <laughs> true, true. I I was going through you know, some of the galleries on on your website, and it surprised me. The first two that you have listed were, um, you know, bestsellers. Uh, I forget what the second one was called. Oh, uh, award-winning. In, in terms of your style, if you had a gallery that was, you know, your favorite collection of images, what what would that be called? Do you think? <laughs> um, I probably something like my personal favorites. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and you know, I do have my favorites that I love, but I again, I try to not to impose what I like onto other people. I, the reason I do, did those categories was I think that if when people are purchasing art or collecting art, they sometimes aren't really sure where to start, you know, and, and when you have as many photographs as I have, and, and I don't even have everything up on my website, I have so much more work that isn't on that website because I don't want to completely overwhelm people, you know, with, so much work. Mm -hmm. So I try to break it down into some categories to make it more digestible. Um, you know, so if somebody's not really sure about, you know, what they like, they can start with what other people have liked and, and has what other images have been um, popular or have been selected. Um, so that's why I did it that way for better, for worse. I have no idea if that was a good idea or a bad idea. I'm constantly rejiggering my, my website all the time. I'm always like moving things around and changing my mind. That's, that's the fun of it, right? <laughs> that's right. Do you remember the first print you sold and, and what did that make you feel like? Oh my gosh, I do. I, I had a, a, I had a, my first exhibit in this restaurant, um, that would feature artists and they would have an opening night and everything like that. And I had this, I, I made this really big print of my my pine and milky way image and it was like a 20 by 30 vertical and um one of the restaurant owners purchased that print and for the for their home and i thought this was like the the biggest compliment anybody could give me is to actually pay their hard earned money for one of my prints you know it's like wow really you like it that much to to spend money not only spend money on it but hang it in your personal space i mean it was huge it was such a thrill you know and i still get that thrill it's, it's the highest compliment anybody could give me is to to choose to look at something that i created in their personal space day after day that's an enormous compliment what does it mean to you that your peers your photographic peers um, referred to you as, as an inspiration. I know Ann Belmont has a quote, uh, that was put on your website about you being an inspiration and, and the excitement she had when she finally met you and heard your presentation in Yosemite. Oh, Ann's a sweetheart. You know, we, we all take inspiration from each other. I think, you know, I, I think it makes me feel wonderful that, someone like Anne Belmont would find me inspiring, find my words inspiring, find my work inspiring. Uh, it's, it makes me puff up with pride. <laughs> you know, I'm so um, tickled when somebody says that my work maybe helped them or influenced them or they, or I had, I, I had um, 
one photographer uh, acquaintance, not not a friend, it's somebody I know who's a photographer, and she came through my exhibit um, up at the Sierra Arts Trail where I had all my work up for just a weekend. And um, she came through and looked at all the work. And she wrote to me later and she said, oh, I left, when I left, I was crying. I was so moved by your work. <laughs> and I went, wow, I, I can make them cry. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think that um, what, what we do with our work, at least for me, is I do want to move people. I want them to feel moved when they look at my work. I want to feel moved when I look at my work. I mean, if I'm not moved by something, how can I possibly expect it's going to touch somebody else's heart? You know, so um, it's always interesting to me what, what people like. I mean, I, I often use my husband as a, you know, to test his images, and then I don't listen to him at all. <laughs> so he'll, I'll say, I'll say, well, do, what do you think of this one? He'll go, eh, meh. I'll say, well, I like it. You know, and That's... he'll say, he'll say, well, why do you like it? And I'll say, I like it because let me explain to you this composition and why this works. And I'll go through the whole thing with him. You know, I'll say, this is why this this image works. And he goes, oh, you know, I I think yeah, I like it actually. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can completely change his mind. <laughs> That's literally the same process that I do when I come back. You know, I'll ask my wife, I'll show her my favorites and say, you know, what's your favorite? And it's always my least favorite. And then my favorite is always her least favorite. <laughs> That's really cute. That's how it goes, though. That's how yeah. it goes. Well, and I, you know, I, I think that... Um... And like I said, I don't listen to him. And, <laughs> and, the, and, the, the, and it's not just... It's, it's just that... I don't think we should listen to anybody. It's not just that I, you know, don't take to heart everything he says. I do, you know, of course I do. But I think when creating art, it's really important that it reflects your own aesthetic. Really important. Um, when I see people say on social media, they'll put up two pictures. Which one do you like better? Do you like it in black and white or color? Do you mm -hmm. like do you like it cropped this way or that way? And and I think that you know that. That isn't useful. I, and in fact, I think that can be damaging in a way because you're not developing your own aesthetic if you're doing that. I, I think it's absolutely perfectly fine and a good idea to have somebody or a couple somebodies whom you really trust, whose opinion is important and matters to get feedback and get meaningful feedback um, that you could ponder and think about and ask questions. But the, the, the blanket, like what gets more likes will lead to work. That's not necessarily reflective of, of you. It's going to be reflective of um, what everybody else thinks of you. So I tend to not do that. Like I, I won't ask people what they think very often, unless it's somebody I really respect and want, um, want to know. Like for example, um, Char Charlie Kramer is a master printer. You know, his, his prints are just breathtakingly beautiful and, and luscious. And, um, there's really no one I would trust more than Charlie to critique my work and my print, specifically my prints. And, and I have brought my work to him from time to time for that purpose, you know, to critique it, to see, you know, to get his take on it. So that's, that's what I mean. You know, you know, all of us, all of us need mentors. Even, even those of us who teach need people that we can go to um, for meaningful feedback. 
What continues to, to be inspiring to you about landscape photography? The landscape. Simply, that's it? Yeah, I, you know, I really try not to look at the, I, I love looking at work of other people. I, I really do. I, In fact, I judge contests from time to time. I really enjoy doing that. Um, but, you know, I try to not get too influenced by other people's work. Um, it's really hard not to, you know, because it's just beautiful to look at for starters. And it's also readily available online. I mean, at any time you, you know, even if you don't mean to, you're going to be, you know, looking at, at, at work. Um, Cole Thompson, um, you know, likes to, to tell people not to, um, not to look at work at all. He doesn't at all. Um, and I don't think I could do that. You know, I, I don't think I could, um, not enjoy looking at other people's work, but I really try hard not to be overly influenced by it. I like, for example, I would never say like, Oh, where did you take that picture? I want to go get that shot. You would never hear me ever say something like that or anywhere close because to me the the process of discovery the process of figuring things out is is part of the joy for me did, did i answer the question i i think so well let me phrase it a different way then what inspires you about your own work oh boy you know if i can look at a photograph and get that little feeling, you know, like, Ooh, yeah, that's, I think I got it. Then, then I know I'm onto something. Um, inspiring about my own work. <sighs> well, I, I guess, like I said, if I, if I don't feel anything, it's, it's not, it, it's probably not that good. I, I take so many bad pictures, David, you can't believe it. <laughs> in fact, it was really funny because in preparing for the Out of Chicago talk um, about composition and trying to think about how I'm going to um, get my, my ideas across and teach this, I realized that I didn't have examples of bad photographs because when I'm in the field, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to make a good composition and I do it so automatically that a lot of my compositions, you know, work. So trying to find things that don't work is kind of challenging. Like, so I made a point we were in Yosemite last week to go out and take compositions that didn't work, you know, like, like show <laughs> an example of, okay, I'm going to work this scene and I'm going to take purpose. I'm going to purposely take some pictures that don't work so that I can talk about why they don't work. And so every you know time I'd go out with my camera, my husband would say, now have fun taking some bad compositions, you know, <laughs> and, off I, and off I go, you know. And so I, I did do that this time. And I, um, and I, I hope this, I hope it works, you know, to be able to demonstrate that. So anyway. Was that challenging for you to do? Yes. <laughs> it was challenging for me to remember to do it. Mm-hmm. to not automatically start. I had to remind myself, it's like, wait a minute, you know, now do something really different. And you know, what was really cool about that exercise is that it forced me to look at things really, really differently, you know? Um, 
like do things that I wouldn't normally do. Do you, th- I, do you think I, you'll grow from that experience? I think I did. Uh-huh. I think I did. I stuck a different lens on my camera, you know, <laughs> I run around and shoot with a 70 to 200 lens most of the time. And sometimes with a 24 to 105, but I'm usually shooting pretty tight. And I made myself, you know, kind of shoot with a wi- wider viewpoint. And in doing so, you know, I was still working a composition, just, you know, working wider than I normally do. And I think that was really good for me. What are you excited about that's coming up in 2021? Oh. You mean in terms of photography or anything? It could really be anything. I mean, we're coming out of a pandemic that's kind of got us all in a in a funk and I know I'm just excited to go to my favorite pizza place down the road. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say something food related as well. <laughs> um, my husband and I, you know, love entertaining and we have fabulous parties um, all the time. And you know, we haven't been able to really have anybody in our house for a year. So we've been, you know, we have a like a fire pit in the backyard so we've been able to have people over and hang out by the fire pit. But it's not really the same, you know. I miss having friends over. I miss, you know, the, you know, the fun, loud, you know, you know, having just my closest friends close. And, you know, I, you know, we, we've done okay. Gary and I are fine. You know, we, like I said, we're retired, so we weren't essential anything, you know, (laughs) we're just, we bought a truck camper and we tootled around in that thing, you know, for the last year and have just had a wonderful time. Um, so, I don't mean to complain because I really have nothing to complain about. We're safe and we're fine, but I really miss having friends over. I really miss that. How about you? Pizza parlor? <laughs> Pizza place. Um, yeah. I think just traveling a little bit. Uh, I'm, I just got my second vaccination. So um, I'm excited about that just to, be with people and not have that looming thought over your head constantly is, is what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, photographically, I'm already planning things. I'm going to be in Yellowstone again. Um, and this time with friends. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and I'm doing a, um, a talk up in Portland, um, this summer and it'll be in person. And then also, you know, there was that, that talk and the one in Twin Falls, both of those got um, canceled because of COVID. So I'm looking forward to being able to talk to people in a group setting rather than on, on Zoom. I don't mind the Zoom calls in a way. It's great. You know, I can just be home and talk to all, you know, reach a much broader audience. But it's, it, it's, there's no substitute for face-to-face. There really isn't being able to talk to people. Well, she's Charlotte Gibb. Charlotte, I want to thank you so much for coming on and and talking photography with us. Oh, my pleasure, David. You ask terrific questions. So thanks again for having me and inviting me. I really appreciate it.